0: Welcome to episode 11 of the New Models podcast. Our guest today is music journalist Liz Pelley, who was in Berlin in February as part of the CTM Festival, where she gave a talk, a sort of thorough diagnostic of Spotify and its algorithms in all its gruesome detail, and how this platform affects independent music especially. The podcast begins, however, with a discussion about New York's underground arts and music scene, and the twists and turns of its community organization while facing rapid gentrification. The music playing behind me is Nothing Never by the artist Dirth Joy. There'll be an explanation later. Let's get right into it.
1: super excited to be in the studio today with Liz Pelly. We asked you to come on the podcast to talk about your work on Spotify, which is super interesting. But to preface that, you actually have this really deep history with community organizing and DIY spaces, especially in New York. There's one article in The Baffler about the March program. And maybe could you say a few words about what that is and how that could be a frame for understanding your interest in Spotify?
2: So basically, while I was involved in this community art space in New York called The Silent Barn, which is a collectively run community art space that had been existing for several years before I got involved but I feel like you'd always hear whispers of venues getting shut down by the NYPD's March Task Force it stands for the Multi-Agency Response to Community Hotspots Task Force and there were a bunch of different venues that got shut down like the old Silent Barn and like Palisade and like a bunch of other spots so I wanted to like find out more information about it so I would filed some Freedom of Information requests which is a um, New York State law uh-huh. and- and how is that, actually? I was always curious. To file FOIL requests? Yeah. Filing the request is pretty easy. It's just like, you know, you can Google, like, how to file a FOIL request, and there's a lot of videos and explainers on, like, how to do it and what the email should look like. I like, guess it's a program that affects venues, but it also just affects, like, small business but what's owners What's the goal? Like, that's what I understand. What's- oh, yeah. So, basically, like, what happens when a venue gets marched is that they send people from, like, the Department of Health, the State Liquor Authority, the Fire Department... Department, like all at once, in like one swoop to basically just like go and like hit a venue with like a ton of fines all at once. It's like a and why financial did a community thing?
1: like hit like a uh, hit up march to like check out a venue?
2: It it goes through 311 and oh, right.
1: noise,
3: complaints. Like noise complaints, also right. the
2: community board. It's basically like spaces that they deem like a nuisance, and it's actually connected with the cabaret law too because oftentimes, like,
0: no dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: so, you know, that, that got overturned last year by, um, which was really cool, like a result of a, a lot of long-term, like, community organizing. Can but you talk a some, little bit about... Yeah, there was
0: some outreach, though, yeah. recently, you were saying, right? Or a nightmare? What is it? Is a nightmare, <laughs> yeah.
2: Last year, there's a lot going on in New York in terms of the city's interaction with the arts community, and they appointed one person who is the nightmare now, um, <laughs> and amongst... Many... Goals that I'm sure this office has, like one of them was to sort of like support the like DIY music and arts communities and venues. The city called together everyone from the DIY music and arts communities together for a meeting with uh, the commissioner of the Department of Cultural Affairs. The meeting was really interesting because being there, looking around the room, there actually there were so many people from so many different corners of music and art and underground venues, and kind of amazing to see everyone in the same room. But at the same time, I think a lot of us wish that we would have like gotten together on our own terms and not because the city had like caught us all together yeah it was definitely like an interesting moment and i think something was going on last year for
0: sure <laughs> i mean i wonder though if it was like part of the catalyst for that was just like i mean i know personally anecdotally lots of people have left new york myself included to move to yeah, berlin auch. and i i wonder if you know, maybe they're they realize with all this huge growth in real estate and building all these new buildings in Williamsburg, et cetera, and especially also with Williamsburg now just being like all these flagship stores or brands that no one's shopping in. And it seems to me too, like even look at New York historically, it's like the like punk and art like downtown scene of the '80s, and like Suicide was playing since like '69 or something, right? <laughs> it's like, but that's like who even put New York like on, on the, the map, map again? And it's also yeah. like, I mean, it's always been this sort of underground, like fringe community that's made New York attractive, I guess, or at least been the catalyst for it. I mean, and so right now, I wonder now, if they realize they pushed back too much, and now they're trying to did it sound because that there's way? I feel some like there was a recognition interest, right?
1: of like a loss of self power over the last few years with the increased real estate
2: and I'm not sure I mean the thing that I worry about with a lot of these initiatives too is that I think that there's a real confusion between supporting culture and supporting industry right. um, and I see a lot of support for growing the music industry in and what New do York, they mean by that? But what, is, what do
1: they mean by when they think music industry like what are the nodes of that?
2: Well I feel I feel like you know it's like traditional markers of like a successful music industry like big festivals like big venues opening and stuff but what is lost in that is that like to support cultures like supporting small spaces supporting spacers spaces that cater to like working artists and that also cater to like local communities and like those cultural spaces that already exist and like supporting those and like not just supporting like things that are going to be good for like the industry but also right. for like
1: or fossilizing culture. past movements which is something you see a lot in like in cities yeah. of like you don't need to support that space you need to support the
2: possibility of people holding down spaces, whatever the active scene is. Yeah, totally. That's a really good way of putting it. Although we do have one cool example of a counter to that in New York City, which is ABC No Rio, which still exists, I think. And um, I feel like like to me, I'm just like, I think that it's really cool that ABC No Rio continues to exist. And they're basically got permits to like rebuild their building this year. Um, So they're like rebuilding a new building this year. And I'm really excited to see where that goes. Um,
0: Is ABC No Rio where leftover crack was from? (laughs) I
2: forgot about that band That is is definitely the best name It's a
0: really brilliant name
2: I think it's important to kind of balance the criticism of what's happening uh, to digital space With also like making sure to stay involved in physical spaces And like keeping those going too Yeah, that's super interesting
0: Quick note here, we recorded when Dan was still in the Midwest. You do hear from him a bit in this podcast, but the bandwidth gods were against us. Don't worry, he safely returned to Berlin and is back in full force on our subsequent episodes. Hope you're enjoying this music by Dirth Joy. We'll get back into it.
1: We were first interested in asking Liz to speak, I mean, God, months ago when we first read uh, some of your writing on Spotify. You know, we're obviously very interested in how platforms shape culture, so we thought it would be cool to take your mind of it and hear how some of those arguments have played out since you first started doing your research.
2: Yeah, I feel like I first got interested in covering Spotify and streaming in general about two years ago when I started thinking a bigger picture way about the influence of major labels on Spotify, which, you know, now is this obvious thing. And it probably was obvious to a lot of people then also, but always curious about the playlists and started looking at it more closely. And, you know, I was just thinking about playlists and like, I guess in a bigger way, like money and power and corporate influence and how that affects like what you see when you look at Spotify. And
0: yeah, one thing I wanted to ask about, if there are any anecdotal stories, conversations with artists, people in the music industry you've had that kind of illustrate why there's an urgency in addressing this.
2: One attitude that I've been thinking about a lot recently that's kind of been haunting me is this one musician who I talked to who's an independent artist who spent a couple of years working on this record, who's an artist that's like been involved in self-releasing music, putting music out on artists-run labels for a couple of years, toured a lot, would be a kind of person that a label would be stoked to work with, I think. But they told me that they were having a lot of Problems like finding a label that wanted to work with them because they didn't have very many Spotify plays. And wow. they were thinking about getting ready to pitch their album to more labels. And they are like, well, I think I need to come up with a track that would do well on Spotify that I could release like before then. But then they ended up not doing any of this, you know. Whoa. But like, just like the fact that it's like these thought processes even happening is like, I feel like it's just, do I have any other options? Like, you know, everyone's definition of sustainable is different. Some people want careers, but I've also talked to a lot of artists Recently, like DIY punk adjacent bands, who are like, we're not even trying to make careers. Like, we just want to break even on the money that we invest in pressing a record. Like, you know, and like that's even like impossible to do. So it's like that's more of like the financial aspect of things. But artists really being put in this position where they're like people who have always been very like art first, community first. Being like, if I want to keep doing this, do I have to make something that will like appease the platform in order to like prove myself?
0: Prove
1: yourself Um, to the
2: algorithm first.
1: I
0: mean, also (laughs) could you could you run through quickly? What is doing good on Spotify? What are those metrics? Yeah. Because you say it like... Yeah. The, so there, there is a particular feelings, tempo of a song that does good on Spotify.
2: Yeah. Like, so here's an interesting example. The band... Galaxy 500, one of the members of that band, Damon Krakowski, he's written about streaming a lot. Um, He wrote a really interesting blog post last year um, about how, you know, like this is a band that was like releasing records in the 80s and they put all their records on Spotify and there's this one song that was like their most popular song on Spotify, but it was never one of their singles and it was never even really a song that got that much attention and they're like, why is this the song that is doing well on Spotify? And they actually like, through talking to people who worked at Spotify and through like Looking at all of the stats and stuff Realized that it's straight up Like the song that sounds the most Like other people's music So it was, you know, like you listen to like a playlist On Spotify or an album and then when it's done It plays music that like sounds like that Or music that they think you would like based off What you were listening to And this song in particular was getting played a lot Once someone was done listening to their playlist Or done listening to the album And then this particular recommendation algorithm Was like playing music that it thought they would like Based on that So it was like the song that sounded the most like other music, basically, it was, like, what was getting played the most. Um, So I feel like there's this very kind of, like, least common denominator, like, what would the most people agree on, like, what rises to the top of, like, basically being inoffensive, which kind of seems to be, like, the thing that is, like, most likely to succeed in this environment, because it is kind of, like, a very passive, like, background music type of environment. I mean, there's obviously, the algorithm reads, like, what the
1: song is as a digital, Entity is a material digital thing, but also like clicks, plays. Like, what kind of metrics does Spotify actually use to either upvote or downvote a song as being on a playlist?
2: I think that it de- depends on what algorithmic playlist you're listening to. I know that on Discover Weekly, um, which is like the one that. Every Monday, everyone gets a Discover Weekly playlist that has algorithmic suggestions for you based on your listening. And so it looks at like what you listen to, and then it looks at other people who listen to what you listen to, and then shows you stuff that they listen to that you haven't listened to. And then it also uses recommendations based on like text crawling the internet and like blogs and sort of like gathering keywords from music blogs and sort of like learning about music that way and makes recommendations based on that. And then from what I understand, it's also like. Based based on like the sound of the music that you listen to and like actually looking at like the qualities of the sound of the music that you listen to.
3: I, I think it's interesting how I mean, yeah, like you said, the, the platform really dictates the content a little bit and just looking at like the phenomenon of SoundCloud rappers versus this sort of stream bait or what Spotify Core I think is the term you used. Um and how SoundCloud, of course, has like gotten more and more trying to compete with Spotify and has more algorithmic suggestion. But before, it was really kind of like attention economy. It was also socially based, like you saw what your friends posted. But it kind of was like about attention grabbing and being outlandish and stuff. And so you you end up with like Lil Pump and XXX and this kind of stuff, which is like very hyper individuated, male, you know, abrasive, very much like opposed to the Spotify thing. So I wonder if. Just little tweaks to the way the platform works or if some kind of other platform emerges, how differently the sound could be affected.
2: I'm going to be honest, I don't know a ton about SoundCloud or even about SoundCloud rap, but something that I wrote about in the StreamBait pop article is how I think it's really interesting to think about all of the different trends that have emerged in the attention economy of music, where sometimes it's about music that's really hard and fast and the chorus comes in at the very beginning of the song and everything that they could possibly do to grab your attention, like, immediately, and how sometimes it's all about, like, what sound could just not require any of your attention at all because there is kind of like you know obviously like the chill sad vibe playlist music is pretty popular on spotify but also like something that you've seen streaming due to radio pop for example is this thing where like More and more, like you hear the chorus, like the first thing in the song is the chorus. I think it used to be more popular for the chorus to come in within the first minute, and now it's like the chorus usually comes in within the first 30 seconds. And that's totally tied to like attention and trying to like make sure that people don't skip because skip rates are a thing that determines whether or not a song gets, you know, bumped up on the playlist or taken off the playlist is like skip rates and completion rates.
0: Spotify is kind of meant for background listening. Like you play something and they want you to just keep it on and walk away, right? And just let it play. SoundCloud is more like people comment on the time. It's like a much more active thing. It's, it feels more like you're in a community and also the artist is a bit more fleshed out there on the profile. It's got a much more social aspect to it. So it's a great actually analogy of how just the mechanics of platforms have these huge effects on Absolutely. how they're used and and what what they and what kind of action activity communication they inspire and like looking at the SoundCloud rap versus Spotify like chill, sad pop is like a really good illustration of of that, I think. But then the the other, the weird thing is, though, about Spotify, I realize, you know, is it does put a preference on artists for making singles now, right? Like, what is it on, on Drake Scorpion? 80% of the streams came from three of the tracks from the album. So, mm-hmm. like, albums are de-incentivized, but at the same time, when you can't just play an album... Like then, because listening to this is what I hate about listening to rap on, on Spotify is like, there's you have to change songs so much oh, yeah. like, between singles, which also then makes you dependent on playlists. Right. Which I guess is what Spotify wants even more because the playlists are a really powerful tool of influence they have, right?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, one thing that I you mentioned uh, in your talk on Sunday that I thought was such a good point was initially Spotify built itself, or at least this is the way like older listeners heard it, as access to everything. Like, I think the statistics are pretty crazy. They have like thirty five million plus tracks. It has two hundred petabytes of data, and you know that's supposed to be the like incentive, like come and you have access to everything, but. I think you made a good point where you said that for younger listeners, that's not necessarily the draw. So I wonder if you could speak to that and also then, well, what is it that Spotify is offering? Like, what what do they imagine their product to be and who are they selling it to?
2: Yeah, totally. You know, something I was saying the other day is that as, you know, I think all of us kind of probably grew up with access to like... Napster and, you know, the ability to, if you wanted to listen to something, you could find it, you know, access wasn't really an issue. It's not really like a novel thing to suddenly have access to all of the music in the world. You know, Spotify and streaming services in general, like, I don't think they think of access to all of the music in the world as really what they're selling or like what their product is. It's certainly not like what makes them valuable to investors. I think that if you asked Spotify what their most valuable product was, they would probably say, their algorithmic personalized playlists, I don't think they would think about what the most popular album was on yeah. the platform.
1: <laughs> but what's so weird to me about that, and what I think is a major problem across Web2 platforms, is it tries to be your best friend. It tries to be the person who knows you well. And it especially with music, this is super important, but any kind of art, music is not just sound in a vacuum. Music is sound plus people who are responding to some set of conditions and time or whatever. And so when you distill just the sound and the like rates and like algorithmically what other sounds it's like, how can we even call that music anymore? So their understanding of music has always been at this this kind of, it's like property that suddenly they own and they can tie you to it. They have a different understanding of music than maybe what like Communities have long imagined music to be or do or bring them together.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. At a certain point, you know, a person's music taste is this thing that is really personal to them. And I feel like they've really capitalized on that understanding that people take a lot of pride in their personalized music taste. And when you go on Discover Weekly, and, you know, a lot of people feel really stoked on how well it knows them because they see their taste reflected back at them. But That's such a small part of the value of what music is. And it's all like also it all just really misses out on the community based element of it and the social element of it. And especially in independent music, you know, like it's community is what independent music is all about you know it's like that's where people find their support systems and that's what makes it like an interesting outlet for young people and that's like how people like find themselves through music is through the community aspect of it and I can get extremely idealistic thinking about all of this because of how much of my life I've spent involved in like underground and independent music communities and spaces but I think that that's also like at the core of why I care about criticizing these platforms so much
1: can you define independent right now like what are some of the core things the core features of independence as a cultural producer
2: it's you know kind of one of those words like DIY or punk that is like super stripped of meaning in the current moment. But I feel like one of the sort of responsibilities of people who consider themselves to be part of independent culture today is to kind of like ask the bigger picture questions of what that means. So I think that's also why I'm so committed to criticizing these platforms is because to me, I think that criticizing the platforms and, you know, eventually finding ways of connecting with music communities without them is a a big part of what it means to be independent but yeah the actual question of like what it means is like pretty funny because it means different things to everyone i feel like everyone draws their own lines like to me i think it also really involves like not involving corporate sponsorship i think that's like an important part of it but because the arts are so underfunded and there's like you know, so many fewer opportunities for musicians to like sell their music. I think there's a lot of people who do consider themselves to be independent artists who are like more comfortable with that sort of thing these days. And it's also funny for me to even say, because I'm a journalist and I've surely contributed to publications that have advertisements on them by some of those same places that artists are like aligning themselves with. So it is like important to think about and like define for Yourself, I think.
0: Do you know if Spotify has purposefully kind of held back on putting more social uh, elements into their platform?
2: It actually used to be more social of a platform, and um, in the early days of Spotify, as someone who I interviewed for one of my earlier articles explained to me, there was a feature where you could go to any playlist and you could message the person who was the curator of the playlist. So early on, a lot of bands and managers and stuff would like go on to Spotify playlists and like small Spotify playlists, you know, and message the curators and be like, Hey, I have this new song coming out, like you might like it for your playlists. And like so, but then they removed that feature at some point. I don't know exactly when it was that they removed it, but it seems like a really intentional shift away from people being able to communicate. I can only imagine, obviously this is like me somewhat projecting, but it also seems kind of obvious that it's to embolden the authority of their official playlists and to make a more seamless product, I think. Um, And also I think that like something that they're really into is sort of like convincing people of the magic of Spotify and like the magic of Discover Weekly and stuff. You know, even though, playlists that are curated by in-house Spotify curators, you know, there's never a byline. There's never, like, uh, they don't go out of their way to, like, let you know who the Spotify curators are or anything. It's actually, like, if you want to figure out who, like, the head of each genre is at Spotify, like, you have to do some digging online to find that information. And certainly their contact info is not really that readily available. I mean,
1: this reminds me, it's like a kind of neo-Disney world. Like, (laughs) it wants you to be seduced by the magic of Spotify it's very tight lipped about like who Cinderella is. Like yeah. Cinderella Cinderella isn't a real human, but there's a whole network underground. Like, um I, but, I just I compared it to
2: the Wizard of Oz in one of the articles I wrote. It's like
1: yeah. Oz. But there's a lack of transparency, of course. I mean, and yeah. this is where like the idea of DIY or independence seems so counter to how Spotify works. Like and I know one of the things for our new models is why we were so key on having this what people call brutalist website is like we want you to see that humans make this. We, you know, we'll make mistakes and people will tell us and we'll change it. But we wanted it to be totally transparent that there are humans behind this. You know, when we get into the idea of the algorithm, we get into the idea that things are politically neutral. And this is a Silicon Valley like a Something that an ideal that some people hold, which I think is just not right. Like algorithms actually do have politics, especially at scale, and so you can't just say if it's in. And this is, I mean, one of the arguments of your, um, your, you know, gender reinforcing algorithm of Spotify. Why there's so many men? Why I mean, crazy statistics. It's like how many men are on Spotify compared to women who are like in the top tier. It's like
2: on the the listening experiment that I did, I was just listening to the most popular playlists on Spotify, which are like today's top hit. It's rap Caviar, Hot Country, Viva Latino, like, you know, like the ones with the most followers, millions and millions of followers. And I think like the average was like 13% women artists or something. I mean, that's insane. Uh, yeah, that's it's totally it's, it's insane. Su- it's completely just... Upholding like the status quo of how the music industry has always been, which is like, you know, what you hear on the radio is still super male dominated. Like, one of the while I was writing that article and doing research on how male dominated the most popular Spotify playlists were, like right around that time. And I've never really been the kind of person to like super pay attention to like what's on top 40 radio or Mm. what's on the billboard charts. Anyway, I saw this article that was like, the headline was like, let's hear it for the boys. And it was about how like, you know, the top 10 billboard artists of 2017 were all men for the first time since like the mid 80s or something. And I was thinking about it, like, what is the relationship between the charts being more male dominated than they've been in decades and streaming? And is it merely that streaming is reflective of Pop environment where things are getting more male dominated, or is there a direct correlation between this sort of least common denominator? What rises to the top effect of um, streaming culture that is like actually pushing the charts to be more male dominated again? I I kind of like I feel like left that piece with like more questions than answers, but I assume that. It It's extremely related. I mean, in a way, we have a test
1: case for when we say that AI is going to, like just trusting the algorithm is going to give us a more egalitarian Mm -hmm. society. It's, I mean, here's a great test case where that's clearly like not the case.
2: Yeah, totally. Also, another thing that I think is really worth noting, you know, is like this first article on this topic that I wrote about playlists, where I interviewed someone who worked at one of the major labels that was talking about how one of the reasons why these like major label playlisting companies were so important is because it helps them rack up plays on Discover Weekly and Release Radar. And like that says a lot that like the mainstream music industry continues to be extremely male dominated. And if like there's so much influence on like streaming in both the curated playlists and in the algorithmic playlists, the algorithmic playlists are to an extent like upholding that major label bias. I
3: mean, I think it's interesting to to look at some historical precedents for this because I think What's happening clearly is like music is kind of collapsing along with video and film and everything into uh, into content distribution. And the same type of suggestion algorithms are used for all of these things. Before they were, you know, the distribution systems were a little bit more separate. But I think because they're being combined, we can look at other media historical precedents. And I think the real issue is like when there is these massively vertically integrated monopolies that form and I think like if you look at the Hollywood studio system in the 20s and 30s there's five studios they have uh, contracts of all of the celebrities all of the actors they own the theaters they have contracts with theaters so they own basically everything from the production to the distribution etc they completely dominate it and I and I think the same thing happened with music industry in the 60s and so and and uh, the algorithmic loop well, not the algorithm, but the feedback loop that happened with radio was it's much the same. I think it's obviously accelerated to some new level and it's worth you know seeing what the differences are. But I think it's also worth noting that the things like this have happened before and then there are sort of like phase shifts where that optimization no longer works and then there's, you know, this room for something different to change. So I don't know. Yeah, I think there's other precedents.
0: I, too, wonder what, like, the long tail of this is is going to look like. I mean, so many times when you have these set of metrics on a platform, it's like people figure out how to game it, you know? And then that ends up becoming, like, this sort of just mountain of redundancy that kind of will end up exhausting its novelty and something else will will happen. I mean, I guess that's, that's kind of getting towards, you know, solutions to this problem. But I do kind of see we're probably in the most frustrating stage right now of where things are going. I mean, and, I
1: think it could get worse. I know Matt in his talk was like, you know, it can, it can, it might actually get worse before it gets better. Like it might actually like become even more bland. Like you may have another year or two or 10. Who knows?
0: Another kind of really interesting thing, especially since Spotify seems to be the most dominant Streaming platform, and and or we I mean, even if we look at Apple Music and Title, I mean, none th- those don't have more really more social elements either, right? I mean, one thing that was I noticed that was kind of a good example of this. There's a lot to say about artists as platforms now, where the artist has to raise attention for themselves as a brand to be able to get the number of eyes to transition, to turn into ears to listen to and stream their music. But it was like, I was with Azealia Banks this weekend in, in London, and she's hot off the uh, heels of like this like terrible outburst uh, about. Uh, Irish people. And it was all over the news in the UK and Irish press. And, you know, then I see her gloating on Instagram uh, the next day saying, like, my monthly listeners just got above one million again on Spotify. The, like, outrage press that she generated with, like, purely negative attention translated literally into, like, significant increase in her month, in her listeners that month. Right. And it's like when you have these, these platforms like this that are almost... You know, still at its core, come down to how the artist is going to get the most, you know, human bots to click and listen, essentially. Right. Then you do end up with these artists as platforms or artists just, or attention just being the God in the first place, anyways.
2: It reminds me of this issue of the mute button that has been um, in the music news the past couple of weeks, which basically is this feature Spotify rolled out where if there's an artist who you don't want to pop up on your algorithmic playlists or curated playlists, you could mute them. I think you'll still see their names on the curated playlists, but the track will get skipped. I think that's how it works. But yeah, just this idea that the decision of whether or not to mute an artist from the platform falls on users, like really enforces this idea of platform neutrality and the platforms kind of throwing their hands up and not taking responsibility for keeping um, hateful music or abusers or people who don't deserve a platform removing themselves from having to make that decision which is complicated because if, if Spotify did start deciding like who should and shouldn't be on the platform that I guess that would be super complicated for them but there's certainly some situations where it's not complicated and it's pretty obvious yeah. you know it kind of reminds me of like in some ways of you know. Facebook not wanting to make calls about like what news is, and like you know Spotify not wanting to make calls about what hateful content is. How do you know? they do
1: with that? Like, is is? I mean, I should have researched this beforehand, but like, is death in June on Spotify? Yeah. And the weird thing about Spotify. Is that it folds everything in? Everything's like kind of condoned in this. It's like the ultimate, I don't want to just like hashtag neoliberal again. But it is just like, oh, if it shows up on Spotify, then it must be accepted by culture. And like in your experience, especially in more DIY networks, Mm -hmm. is there something that's like that you think really couldn't exist on Spotify? And there's something that's emerging which is like very much like anti-algorithm, not try like would, would like absolutely tank on the feed Spotify. I wouldn't accept it. What kind of resistance is there to a Spotify model?
2: I think that Spotify's thing is that like it's up to the label to take the music down, and um, there have been examples of you know artists being um, called out for abuse, and then their record labels like deciding not to service their music or taking their music off the platform. But it's never like Spotify's decision really mm. to like take them off the platform, from what I understand. It's kind of interesting as Spotify gets more into the game of letting independent artists service their music directly to the platform or like signing artists directly, Spotify is holding this narrative that allowing artists to service their music directly to the platform and signing deals directly with artists does not make them a record label. Mm -hmm. So then in these situations, who's going to be the one to make that call of like whether or not the music comes down if it is not accepted by music culture at large or like independent music culture at large um
1: there's gonna have to be a backlash to this because you have like artists forming themselves for the like you know like parental spotify like please let me be accepted by your algorithm i
2: mean it seems like and there's already ways like it's it's kind of funny because obviously there's already tons of label less artists here on spotify there are these services like CD baby and DistroKid kid, where you're kind of like any artist can upload their music that way and get it on Spotify. Like any, like anyone already could do it, but Spotify is kind of streamlining the process so that artists can like not have to go through these like external distribute distributors um, and can directly go to the service. I'm sure that you know more music will end up on Spotify because of that, like more independent music or quote unquote independent. But yeah. I mean, the
0: thing I'm just I keep thinking about with this is... Ultimately, like, what's the point of being independent if you're you have to cater to Spotify's kind of rules and stuff, anyways? Like, you still have this, well, that's
1: what gets so dangerous, right? right? Where we're in like, a state where Spotify is powerful enough that like the choice of not being on it is like not existing or not being able to monetize what you do, and which maybe good like, so maybe means that like musicians will actually just be like, fuck Spotify, and I'm just gonna like do whatever other stuff kind like of work. There's some like but band
0: camp like purists or people who sample a lot can't be on. Spotify, this is a question too. You know? Too.
1: So, like, I think Bandcamp's super cool, but like, as people have pointed out, in a weird way, it's also not competitive with Spotify. And like, why do you think? What are some of the core reasons why it's not competitive with Spotify at this moment? And do you think like the long tail on this it's still going to be true?
2: I'm I'm like a a big Bandcamp person. I I use Bandcamp every day. It's like the main the only music app I have on my phone. It's the main way that I buy music. It's the main way that I like find keep up with new music from following my friends on the on it. Like, um, I'm always showing for Bandcamp all the time. But I also know that artists and fans getting wrapped up in one platform is like always gonna be a bad idea because then if that platform changes or like goes away or whatever, then your whole community is just gone and, you know. So you're asking about its its competitiveness with Spotify. I think it's good that Bandcamp's not an alternative to Spotify. Like I absolutely think that the independent music community like doesn't need an alternative to spotify and like if someone like comes to me with an idea for something that they think will be like a sustainable alternative for independent artists and they're saying it's going to be like the next spotify i'm like i already (laughs) think you're like on the wrong path or whatever like this like model like doesn't work for independent artists but Actually, like interviewed Matt a few couple years ago about this, and he said something that always like stuck out to me, which is that like in like the heyday of like indie labels, like there were all different independent labels who were doing like all different sorts of things, and even though they were all like shipping records around the world, like they all operated very differently and did business very differently and catered to different types of sounds, and they were like different ways of doing business, and I feel like there are different like types of independent communities where different things are important like in punk and indie rock like vinyl records are still like and cassettes are like an important part of like culture and like everyone releases their music on tapes whereas like I don't know I don't know a lot about electronic music, honestly, which is like something that I'm a little hesitant to say here in Berlin. But I don't know if like cassette tapes are like a big thing in I electronic have a, music I have a theory
0: about this. sorry, one thing yeah. about cassette tapes. Yeah. yeah, I was just I was at uh, when I was in London, I went to the uh, to a talk at the Bleep record store. and Bleep is kind of like a indie beat port, I guess, but they have a physical record store. and there was like they had a like pretty, well, they had a cassette section. And I was thinking about it though, and I was like, wow, like, I was like, I really get, especially now, I get the appeal of cassettes because you cannot change the song really. Like, It's too much labor, and I and that's the one thing I really dislike. Oh, about Oh, now, Spotify. true. I
1: mean, you used to not be, but now who has like but no? A, but I
0: mean, the thing, well, I mean, still back in the day you had to stop, fast right. forward. It's not just instant, like on Spotify, right? right, right, I feel right. Like sometimes it's labor to even listen to music, right? Uh, there's so much time I uh, spend trying to find the right thing or whatever. And a cassette tape removes that problem, like, you just have to commit to listening to this thing for 30 minutes, true, you know? And 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 it's like, I, I was just realized, like, ow, oh, it's it, it well, cassettes are really really. really great, like, um, yeah, just like removes that labor and it's kind of a great digital minimalism and like when platform. someone had a,
1: you had a crush on and gave you a tape and you'd listen to it, well, it was like amazing. Of course, you got like super interested in all the artists they put on that tape. And of course, they tried to put like the most esoteric songs they could think of. Yeah. So they thought that you were like actually cool. Yeah, it was total scarcity to the songs it total scarcity to now
0: it. we're just like waxing yeah. about yeah, the yeah, olden days. Yeah, yeah, sorry. The perpetual 90s or whatever. A real mixtape from a crush is much, more cuter, is much cuter than a Spotify playlist. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, cassettes are like the main way that I listen to music, I have like a floor to ceiling cassette shelf in my apartment. And I definitely do agree with you about like the process of deciding is just like, which one are you going to take off the wall and put on? But to me, like the most ideal way to buy music is like a cassette tape that has a bandcamp code inside of it. Mm. Because- a lot of people who release tapes do it that way. There's like a cassette tape, and you open it, and there's like a slip of paper inside it, and then you go on Bandcamp.com/slash-yum, and you like put the code yeah. in, and it goes to your Bandcamp app as an um, an unlimited stream, and you also can download the MP3s if you want them. And here I am shilling for Bandcamp again, but I'm like, <laughs> what's wrong with this? This maybe, works maybe for maybe me. That's just what happens? And like, <laughs>
1: why can't it just happen that like the Bandcamp continues to evolve, and it serves yeah. a community that like finds it useful, and then. You know, Spotify turns into like your syndicated pop top forty radio station plus Muzak. Basically like serious radio, but like yeah. you have a little more choice. You or can like, choose when you want Drake or Miley or like whatever. Or it's like
0: NBC. Like it's like the TV station that comes over the antenna. Like, right. It's just your base level basic cable.
1: I mean, I think the problem that we have here is that they, they present themselves as this solution. For music. Like they present themselves as a solution for like, you know, upstart artists. And they sell that's what they sell when they're selling to their investors. They're selling this dream of like making the coffee house dream come true, as opposed to just like, no, we're basically a top 40 station. We're basically servicing the major labels. That's where like this feeling of lying comes in. You're like you're you're sort of sucking blood from people who who have aspirations and not a lot of money and using their image to sell your top top 40 machine. Maybe it just evolves that way. Like, I have no problem with Spotify is just a top 40 thing, because for big artists, it actually is useful. Like, it's convenient. Nicki Minaj. Like, I use it for that.
2: Yeah, totally. And, like, for people who maybe never really did have, like, that, you know, in-depth of a relationship with music and mostly just listen to the radio and, like, maybe, you know, this is
0: useful for them.
2: <laughs> yeah, Spotify for brands. Like, maybe yeah. this is useful. and But...
0: I mean, one thing—it saw it just hit the news three days ago, but I discovered this in July. But it's fake artists with fake listeners. But you've written oh, about yeah. this too,
2: right? Um, cu- kind of yeah well I'm actually in the middle of sort of exploring a piece that like kind of is involved with this so I've been doing some research into it but it's definitely a really big thing on the platform is basically especially on some of the more mood and activity based playlists like focus playlists sleep playlists basically like Spotify makes it really hard to figure to to see the record label that an album is right, on you have to like click a bunch of the You have to, like, if you're staring at the track on the playlist, you have to be like, go to album. And then when you go to the album view, all the way on the bottom, it'll tell, it like will say the name of the label in very, very small font. Really easy to miss. You can't search by label. I mean, you can't do that on
0: iTunes even buying stuff it drives yeah. me crazy. Oh yeah, true. can't
2: buy search by label also like you should be able to see the credits of like who is on a record like they're like the biggest music yeah, data company in the world. So. Yeah, like it would be there's so much data like this is like stuff that would actually be useful for music culture and not just for like Spotify um but you can't do any of this. The reason why I was saying explaining how you find the label is that like sometimes on these mood playlists if you go to the album and you look at like where the label is it'll say it'll say either like five Firefly, AB, or Epidemic Sound, and those are two examples. There's probably more of these of these companies that make this kind of like you know like they mostly do music for ads and TV and film, but they'll also make these like sort of like stock music tracks that you'll see on Spotify too. And like it's made by musicians. Like I mean, I'm sure we're not far away from a time when this music will be generated not by humans. I already (laughs) talk about that.
0: If you like what you hear, know that there's an entire site that we maintain, a human-filtered aggregator reflecting stories relevant to the New Models world. You can find this at newmodels.io. Read or hear a piece you think should appear on the site? Let us know by sending us tips to desk at newmodels.io. And if you want even more New Models, yes, we have a Patreon. By becoming a member, you support the New Models ecosystem and gain access to our unfiltered conversation. We have a secret podcast as
3: well as this one.
0: Hope you're enjoying this dearth joy. Now back to the show.
3: Isn't this just like boy bands? I mean, there's been manufactured (laughs) pop bands for for a long since the 60s or 50s or I don't even know how much longer. It, It seems like... I don't know. I, I keep on coming back to this point, but music is always optimized for the sort of technological limits of the era. Yeah. It's just what's happening right now. Of course, you know, artists are artists before were trying to make a radio hit, and you know, there's certain you know things that made a radio hit, making a Spotify hit, or making a back. I mean, I, I just feel like it's a. It's not a radically new. It's not a radically new problem. That's all I can keep on thinking. I don't know, and I don't know if there's any lesson in that. But I just, if there's any lesson in that, it's just that it couldn't get better. That's the only thing I can think. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, two things about that. The first is that, like, you're definitely right. These are problems that have existed for the pop world for a long time. Um, I always sound like a broken record saying this, but the main thing is that this is a moment where independent artists and artists who don't make pop music, who make, you know weird music, challenging music, indie rock music, like genres that are like not pop are like beholden to the same infrastructure that pop artists are beholden to, which is super weird. And then in terms of these like quote unquote fake artists, manufacture artists. Like this isn't really pop music. This is like sleep music. We're like (laughs) like ambient music. Like 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 not actually not actually like what would be on the radio. Or like, you know, like music for yoga. Like very specific sounding like ambient music or focus music. Like you know like minimal electronic music and stuff. Like and stuff where like there are artists who make this type of music who could like use those like top slot on the most popular focus music playlist placements but instead of putting like an ambient musician who would like really benefit from that at the top of the playlist it's like this person this artist that actually like doesn't really exist and like if you google the name of it there's nothing about them anywhere on the internet they have like no bio on the platform because it's just like a session musician who is like hired for like a day to like make this track or like maybe longer I don't actually know what the conditions of like it's these companies minutes. you know like but <laughs> the music that you fall asleep to like Spotify and the streaming era have a ways of classifying these types of music where they use the word functional music and then they use the word non-functional music what? and a lot of the the music that, that is that m- reminds
3: me of like uh, religious and non-religious, music <laughs> and, and yeah. like the Grammys.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so something I've been thinking about a lot is like how flawed it is to say that like music that is like art can't also be like functional. Like you know, like I have like a close relationship with like the music that I like fall asleep to or like walking somewhere like certain activities like you have like a relationship with the music that you listen to while you're doing that activity like just because you know so I feel like it has a lot to do with this like decontextualizing and recontextualizing of music on the platform's terms to suggest that like just because it's music that you listen to like when you fall asleep or when you're trying to focus means that it's like not actually music. Well, that's one of when- the most
1: pernicious aspects is it's like you know if you're listening to a top 40 station you're like it's top 40 but here they're like giving you categories mm-hmm. for all these different music types which is going to radically change your framework for listening
0: i mean also like you can imagine like i don't know pantera being on like a workout playlist yeah and, like, yeah <laughs> phil Anselmo being pissed like what I'm not functional music. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Fucking Pantera, brother. We're not functional. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) And and they'll say that
2: until then, like, you know, they get like a session player to make a song that sounds just like Pantera, and Pantera's not getting those royalties anymore. It's like, you know, Epidemic Sound or like whatever company has been hired to make this song. Like,
0: wait, the fake artists I'm talking about, though, aren't even that. Yeah. There's literally. Like, basically, and I i was, it just hit the news like two days ago or something, but I found out about this in July, but I was waiting for our editorial site to get done. So I have an album up um, in front of me now. It's by Dirth Joy. The album's called The Art of Reality. By the way, all the music in this episode is going to be from fake, like literally fake artists. <laughs> so the Dirth Joy... Uh, so, the, you know, every song has has 150,000 plays, and it's always a stock photo as an album cover. And if you go to fans also like, you get reality overdue, rife mind, a mind bender, clearly positive, exomniac, all the words. They're like words that also you like I found out about this by just typing in a name of a song. You know, they like populate type. these albums with these kind of. W- weird words or titles that are likely to show up when people are searching for something else. So and describe all the these bands, right? Like fans oh, yeah. also like all these different bands, right? Yeah. And the music is really absurd. And then when you go about, so where people listen: Vienna, Montreal, Akla, Sweden, London, Amsterdam. Then go to fans also like choose another one about exactly the same cities. Yeah. Listening to it. So Whoa. basically, hackers upload these these al- <sighs> fake. Fake artists with these, like, computer, literally computer-generated songs, give them a title, whatever, upload tons of them, get them put on Spotify. Then they have, like, basically, like, farms of fake users that just stream over and over, and then they take the the plays.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's, like, thinking, like, that's, like, a sort of gray goo for Spotify. Definitely. That could, like, easily... Uh, you know, just like really invade this platform. I mean, but you could also think about labels. If I'm sure, they probably do this already. Have Spotify play farms, right? Like, I I mean, you have already like they're using bot botnets and fake users to astroturf things, and they launch something new, right? Like, I mean, the 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 pitfalls of Spotify are exactly the same as any other attention based well platform, right? And and like even see the Pareto principle. Emerge in it where 99% of the uh, streams come from 10% of the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it even works on a more micro scale with the album. Mm-hmm. You know, 80% of the streams will come from, the, you know, two or the less than 20% of the songs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then just how much of an impact the platform makes. Number one album sold recently on the, the rap charts, like Boogie with a Hoodie album, 749 copies sold in the opening week. It's all streams. Right? Wow. And so it's like we're just taking yet another thing and wholesale putting it up on a platform that's like beholden to all the same attention economy uh, right. like exploits that any other platform based in the attention economy has. And undercutting Company. this
1: is like the quarterly return problem of like not just platforms like Spotify beholden to their like VC investors or whoever to show that they're like growing with interest, but also labels, bands, whatever companies are astroturfing with with fake labels to increase their profits. But you've seen that since you know forever. With like, I remember even in the '90s. A story of Revlon selling massive amounts of products to, uh, you know, buyers in, say, Utah, where they were just storing the product in warehouses. It would become dead stock and be destroyed. But they had to show to their investors that there was an increase in sales, and it was better for their stock prices to show that they were moving this product than whatever loss leader they had on, like, or not leader, loss ender they had on. Um, just selling this to a to a fake uh, yeah cheaper
0: to like burn, burn the product yeah. than to take the stock hit of e- exactly. not having exactly
1: exactly so we have like on the base level i think across the board both on the label side but also obviously on the platform side this uh it, you know need to have quarterly returns and there was a great article today by Kale Weissman about the death of buzzfeed and how it was this perfect storm of attention economy VC expectations, platform volatility. So you have have this kind of like, you know, castle made of sand or whatever, when you have VC investors who are saying, we're giving you all this money, but we wanna see like growth every single quarter, which is a crazy metric we're seeing attention economy so doing anything possible just to get the clicks and then you're seeing platforms which are going to change their algorithm secretly because there's the whole fetish around trade secrets and having you know not making their algorithm transparent and so BuzzFeed may have optimized for video or well, look at all the people that did pivot to video only defined by the time they actually launched their platforms that like video is actually an incredibly expensive and cumbersome yeah, content production. Right. So you have this really weird nebulous cloud of, of different agents spending a shit ton of money. And in the meantime, like who are the casualties? Like listeners or communities that are trying to, I mean, some, I don't know. I, to, I, I don't know if I'm pivoting too much with this and let if you have something else to say. But I I mean,
0: one thing though, I, I think about that Spotify shares with the, all the other big, big stack platforms is first of all it flattens everything right and uh, another aspect of that is the loss of locality right for sure this and, totally corresponds yeah could you imagine the difference of if spotify would show you local bands like how, yeah, like even how totally. how helpful that would be to the to musicians themselves making a living. Yeah, what if it all because like I mean
1: because like, there's the IRL component, right? And like as you said, it's up to the artist to create their own social and bring that social to the platform. So what if these like if the organic social was prioritized and they were like, oh, you're in Berlin, also cool if you're traveling. Mm-hmm. Hey, these are all the bands that are playing this week, and they well, were the they first have ones that
0: the shows on Spotify. I guess they which have is, the shows on Sp- yeah, nice, too. I just think, though, too, for artists, it's like if you're thinking about how to make it or something, you're thinking of like Spotify metrics, you're thinking of their playlist. I mean, wait, didn't you tell me, Liz, did you have some anecdote about an indie band who found out they were chill?
2: Oh, uh, (laughs) yeah, it um, it was in my presentation and I also wrote about it in my article about my my Spotify Uber article it was about kind of like the rise of false independence in the streaming era and kind of like comparing that to like this Uber independent contractor model. But yeah, there's this series of videos that Spotify released last year called The Game Plan which were these videos where they were going to show artists how to navigate the platform and kind of like make it on Spotify. It's all about hustle. That's like what it's (laughs) in Um, So there's like one called how to read your data. And they were basically like sort of, sort of showing artists how important it was to check their stats because they could learn things about themselves that they didn't even know. And then they interview <laughs> this one band that's like, we always thought of ourselves as an indie pop band. But then we realized through looking at our Spotify stats that most people actually classify as a. As electronic and put us on playlists like chill pop and chill vibes. So like maybe there's a future for us as DJs instead of just like playing <laughs> with our band all the time. And I was like, this That's is so like, bad. like so alarming and disturbing to me because it is like the like perfect example of like the turning point or like the situation where Spotify is like dictating the creative process or where like Spotify data is you know telling artists which direction to go in with their creativity, but. It, I feel like it also has a lot to do with the sort of like loss of community and like uh, individualism and like competition and this like pop scarcity model that the music industry has always upheld to kind of like use. I feel like something that I was talking about um, in my presentation on Sunday was the way that I feel like the focus on data really like pits artists against each other. There's actually a feature in the Spotify for Artists app, which is kind of like the artist-facing app that where they can check their stats and see what playlists they've been added to, where you can look at your stats and then you can search the name of any other artist on Spotify, and it'll compare your stats to their stats. Whoa. So you could be like, "How do I stack up to Justin Bieber?" or like, "How do I stack up, stick up to like any artist?" Um, and it'll show you like you versus them. And I'm like, this is so harmful. <laughs> but like
1: also you can imagine a booker who probably has like a Spotify for artist account mm-hmm. being like, Shit, well our Saturday night slot, are we gonna give it to this band or this band? Exactly. Who has better yeah.
2: stats? Yeah, and there's definitely like something you hear all the time like with independent artists or like who are kind of like, you know, on that like next level of professionalism where they're touring internationally or whatever, like international bookers and bookers all around the US will like always ask bands for their Spotify stats to like figure out like whether they should book them or like what venue they should yeah. book them at or like what their fan base is like, which is so wrong to me because I feel like just because you have a high number of listeners in a city, like you know, you could just be on like a coffee house playlist in that city or you could just right. be on like a sleep playlist in that city like it doesn't necessarily equate to like more people caring about your music in that city it
1: wasn't an organic but, reason but
3: the, i think the issue there is just that it's like the quality of information and how reductive it is it's not necessarily that like there's a, a mechanism for for learning that kind of stuff because it actually could be really insightful i think and lead to unexpected bands getting booked places potentially uh but like yeah if it's just play count yeah, then you could just have a coffee shop band there or something and fail. But I think, I mean, does it work? Have I mean, if that, I, apparently it works. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep I mean, doing it. I assume. Right. I
0: agree. There's certain bands that have made it just from Spotify. Like alone. who? Alone. I mean, I think of just because I, I like know one of the guys, but that well, that's why this example is so clear to me. But Terror Junior, right? Uh, right. It was like these pop producer guys, uh, Felix Snow and some other guys, and and an anonymous uh, woman singing. And they just had the perfect, like almost like DJ Mustard, but kind of minimalist R&B. The same guys that produced Kiara, Gold, also huge Spotify artist. And it's just like the perfect like background, really minimalist, really HD and clear yeah. pop. And it started by being seated in a, uh, what was it, her name? like Maybe like Kylie Jenner lip balm commercial or something. Oh, and it's perfect, just like right? a perfect storm. Like the music was so perfect for background Spotify listening. And, like, it had a Kylie, like, the single Kylie Jenner lip balm commercial seed, and it just, like, exploded. But, I I mean, I'm sure, too, bands can discover where their fan bases are. I mean, of course, it's, like, not all, Spotify's not all evil, and it's really useful for some bands. But I think the interesting thing is that we're seeing, again... The mechanics of the platform, Are which hidden. most people, right, is exerting yeah. like, a lot more pressure and nudging. Right. N- yeah, nudging things into particular directions to suit the platform, especially with probably artists a bit. Underneath that top of the. I think we get to this
1: question of authenticity again, too. The platform itself, I mean, whatever, fine. Again, like, you need a top 40 radio station, fine. Or music station, fine. But it's the myth that they spin that they are specifically like doing good in the world. Totally. Saving music. (laughs) Right. For like helping independent artists. That's Mm. where, for me, I start to draw the line. Because that is like obviously false. Like, the way this platform works is not actually like make independent musicians have a better relationship to their community, which makes their music more valuable, which then over time would I mean, that that's for where for me it becomes a problem.
2: And kind of like I mentioned on Sunday, like there are rare examples of viral success stories which spotify loves to talk about too because that proves that their platform works or whatever so like anytime there is like a viral success story or an example of an artist who really made it on spotify like they always want to like get behind those narratives and like push those artists um because it's sort of like but i think that a lot of times those narratives get oversold um, because it is like super rare that it works that way but you know there's always any platform that creates a lot of challenges for A lot of people, there will always be like the rare example of it creating opportunities for other people. And I don't want to dismiss that too, because I know that there are working artists for whom like their Spotify income is like currently part of how they make a living. And I don't want to like downplay that or say that like it's wrong that they use it in that way or whatever. It's the reality of like the music environment that we live in. But I think that you can kind of like, acknowledge that it is useful for some people and also acknowledge that it is a massive cultural problem at the same mm, time.
0: There's there's artists who aren't even human who are getting millions of <laughs> streams a month. Look, look at look at Earthjoy. <laughs> really, really really well. For I love how none of those artists
2: exist. even had like not even photos of people as their band photos. It was like stock photos. Yeah, of they're honest. Roads but but
3: is not I mean isn't like all artistic production a compromise in the end? I mean the same issues definitely happen in the art world where like for instance if you're trying to make a proposal for an art fair booth art basel actually gets to approve specifically what is being shown in which booth even if the work is being produced specifically for the fair a year in advance so it's like or I can think about like I don't even dog shows in the way that they know compliance towards a certain kind of standard it you know it feeds itself and it's self-perpetuating and like humans are Fully capable of creating those systems without algorithms, like it's definitely an issue in general. For Making sure. those kind of com- compromises, I don't know. Yeah. So musicians, yeah, they have to make new kinds of compromises. They had to make different kind of compromises before.
1: Yeah, oh. I mean, that's a really, really good counterpoint. But also everyone knows that like the Art Basel booths, I mean, like one in 10 are like actually good. And that's just like, like everyone's legit about that. And artists will complain about how they're really upfront. There's no myth about Art Basel, right? Like people know that Art Basel is like sometimes a compromising situation for artists. Some figure it out, some don't, but it's like everyone's very clear on, on what that framework is. Again, I think the problem with Spotify is that it pretends as though it's a super egalitarian super DIY space which it obviously isn't even the aesthetic of Spotify like everything has that weird like kind of like soft gradient over it so you can't even see the cover big you can't see the cover big you can't see people's faces you can't see faces yeah you can't even see what the tattoos on the faces say I said it again face tattoos in one more cast you can't see any like there's no human there's no human detail
2: there's actually a lot of rules about what the images on Spotify can look like and like where the text is allowed to be, what colors it's allowed to be, like how many words can be on each line. It's really it's actually like really intentional, like how tightly they control like even for third party curators of playlists. So there's like Spotify playlists and then there's third party curated playlists. Like technically any record label, any organization, like group can Curator can make a Spotify playlist, um, but there's a lot of rules about like what you're allowed to make the image look like, so that it, on one hand, seamlessly fits from the platform on the platform, and on the other hand, doesn't look too closely like an official Spotify playlist. Weird. So that whole like gradient color that they have on their official ones, like you can't do that on them, but uh. you also can't make them look too weird and bad. <laughs> it's it's really specific.
0: Actually. But what about for individuals' playlists? Like you can.
2: I think this is more about like brand they, brands and pages and stuff and, than and individuals. Do they have
0: do they monetize like I mean, is there payola on Spotify?
2: There is, yeah. It's actually like pretty easy to find too, like if you just Google like get my song on Spotify playlists. Like I get sponsored Instagram posts for this stuff all the time. Oh, like companies being but like how does
0: that work? Do they pay Spotify directly? Like Spotify allows you to buy your way onto a playlist or is there like, is it a kind of a underground economy?
2: I think it's more of an underground economy of like third party curate play. Cause you know, there's like the Spotify official curated playlists, and then there's right, there's a whole tons, tons of other playlists too. They'll, they'll talk about how they have these networks of thousands of playlist curators who they're in touch right. with. Like, none of those are people who work at Spotify, those right. are like users who have, you know, playlists that have X amount of followers. But the thing with like algorithmic playlists is that. Your chances of ending up on algorithmic playlists increase the more user-generated playlists you're on. So, ah. like, um, that's kind of like you know, if you talk to like people at Spotify and they're you're like, "How do I get on Discovery Weekly? How do I get on algorithmic playlists?" They'll be like, "Well, you know." make playlists like your fans should make playlists like you should encourage people to make play you know it's all about like just make more playlists and just use spotify more and if we all just use spotify more then it would be more fair like you know <laughs> um that's i feel like that's kind of like they what they ex- tell you to do is just use spotify more and make more playlists it's it's pretty interesting like some things i've picked up on are that like in terms of the way that like Algorithms work like, the name of the Spotify playlist is important and, like, the order of the tracks is important. And, like, um, it all kind of factors into, like, a song's chances of appearing on more algorithmic playlists. I don't remember what, like, the exact count is, but I think that in order to be on Discover Weekly, it has to have, like... 500 plays a day or something Mm -hmm. like that. Like there's like X amount of, I've I've been to a lot of like presentations about like how to get your music on Discover Weekly and stuff like that. And the information's out there. They
0: they still don't know how, and I've sat down with like musicians and been like, played them songs. Like, is there any similarity between these chord structures? I know like minor major sevenths is a big one for me, but I'm like trying to figure out what makes music I love. Yeah. <laughs> I not figured it out yet. <laughs> the Weekly is always kind of worthless for
1: me. Yeah, I, I find it totally and, worthless. So you said uninspiring, too. For me, it's just an uninspiring yeah. way because there's not enough human detail in it. Mm-hmm. But I really am interested in their decision to not integrate with other platforms. Like, you would think that.
2: There's videos on Spotify, like, especially with they're kind of like flagship playlists like the biggest playlists on the platform like Like,
0: life sucks with (laughs) 1.8 million followers (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) life life sucks is pretty big but i'm talking more like (laughs) i'm talking more like um today's top hits like hot country rap caviar um even like ultimate indie which is the biggest indie playlist on spotify they will like occasionally like one in ten tracks will be the format in the format of a video, or like oh, sometimes right. they like premiere videos on Spotify or like stuff like that. But it is like that's the kind of thing where like you have to be on a label that has like a pretty tight relationship with oh. like the spot the curators of the genre that you're in in order for like because you're know, like, like a certain like all the major labels and then to a certain extent some of the more major indies like the relationship between like the Spotify rep at the label and like the label rep at Spotify is like very direct. It's um. like almost the same as like commercial radio or whatever where they have like meetings and phone calls and spreadsheets and they're like here's our priorities for this week and like sometimes they'll get a response back from what i understand with independent labels it's like very minimal communication but with major labels obviously it's bigger because they have a close relationship
0: the guys who do the play run the playlist like they must be like making money on the like under the
1: on the, the table, table, right? They like, have to be. They like, how do they prevent against like, corruption? Can, there must. Be I mean, you
0: must. I bet you can, like, really live like a rock star if you run one of the big Spotify. Players. Get all the girls. You know, every label is just trying to, like, trumpet the Ritz. You, you know. Yeah,
1: you'd They'd imagine. Be like,
0: you know. I, yeah. from what I understand blackmail like, I'm sure it's gone I, I'm sure it's already like this should make a right? movie about
1: it yeah. yes. <laughs> they should Fire you know? Festival right. I want the Spotify doc
2: I mean from what I understand it's like with like the actual Spotify employed curators and the actual like big Spotify playlists it's a less kind of like money exchanging hands and more kind of like padding on the back that has like always existed in the music industry like right oh like if we put your you know artist on this playlist then they will go and like evangelize the Spotify platform on their social media like if you like especially like big pop acts like if they're linking oh, look at the Nicki to and, Spotify, and the is
0: Minaj situation where she was like Drake like uh like she released her album released on Apple music by accident or something 12 hours earlier yeah and she was like Spotify got revenge by putting Drake's face on every playlist oh and, yeah like, A yeah yeah. drake day
2: it really happened yeah no it's interesting though it's like you know it she like accidentally released her music on Apple Music earlier or something, so they like pulled back all of their playlist support for her album. Like that's like a huge deal for an artist, especially that size. I mean, it's a big deal for any artist if they're like gonna put your songs on like every playlist and then like you do something wrong, so they decide not to. And it also, it's kind of like this weird threatening vibe. Like there's something else. There's like another artist who they were gonna say something about it, but they didn't want her to like. They didn't want to get the revenge on like ex other artist on the label yeah. to You know, like take it out on all of us or something. And just like this is not right like <laughs> one thing
1: I wanted to make sure we talked about was this idea of artists as host And like one thing that's interesting is at the end of the year this mm. year everyone was posting their Spotify stats and that was yeah. like creepy or I don't know maybe like real realist uh, like relationship to what how music operates now. but like what are your thoughts on that and then Julian, do you have thoughts on this artist as host idea?
0: I mean host? As host for Capital, Capital for Spotify, for yeah. the platform's own logic.
1: Yeah, maybe, like, Liz, do you want to, like, explain what this was, this NVR stats oh, thing?
2: Yeah. Well, first I'll say that artist's host idea is really interesting. I'd never heard that expression before, but I think that's, like, really interesting. Um, The wrapped thing was... Really dark, I thought. I mean, basically, like, it was just like a ton of free advertising. Basically, they sent artists these scorecards at the end of the year of all of their stats. It was their year in review, like, Spotify wrapped. And it was like, you listened, like, you had X amount of listeners in like X amount of countries. They listened to you for this many minutes. And like, they kind of like, tooled it so that everyone's card looked like as impressive as possible to like get you to post it and i think it's, it's still a all fucking
1: just, report card yeah like school report exactly cards. i
2: mean i was talking to one of my friends about it we were like even a couple years ago this just would have seen it seemed extremely tacky like and everyone was posting it um and i think that it's partially because people maybe feel validated by this or they feel like it like Enters them into like a cultural conversation or something if they post it. I also think there's pressure on artists by like their labels and just by like platform capitalism, like the platform economy that we live in to just constantly be posting stuff all the time. So you're like, oh, that's something I could post, like, you know, and that's like kind of dark to think about too. But like a lot of artists, I think get told by their labels that they have to, like, you know, just post stuff all the time on social media or people will forget I mean, about that. I writers too, you know, yeah. as well. If yeah. someone,
1: like, tweets your piece, you're like, oh, I need to retweet. I need to, like, say I did this. And, yeah. like, your social, you know, because social media feeds already are filled with ads, you're kind of like, whatever.
2: Like, here's my
1: ad for my piece
2: because. Yeah. But then the other side of it that's, like, super, super unhelpful and really harmful for culture, I think, is that, like, you know, it's this, like, comparison thing. Everyone's comparing themselves to each other, which obviously happens all the time on social media, but for especially for, like, independent musicians who are, like... Independent music is, like, absolutely, like, the, the culture that is, like, the most harmed by Spotify. It's, like, you know, like, smaller artists who are, like working artists but like not on the same pop level that you'd need to be on to like actually reap the benefits of this kind of system. It's like this like comparison thing or like make people feel bad about themselves because they don't have as many plays as everyone else does and it's just like not all music does well in this environment. Like doing well on Spotify it's not like it doesn't mean anything. So I'm not trying to like take away from people who like feel really good about their stats, but it's like it's not meaningful in the sense that like if you have a if your Spotify report card doesn't look good like it, it doesn't doesn't matter. <laughs> like,
1: I mean, it's like saying like you judge all restaurants and Michelin star restaurants, even though like your favorite global South restaurant is not included. Like it just seems weird that every that music which is, by definition, not uniform. Everybody is is speaking in different ways. There is not one common metric that says what's more valuable than the next kind of music. Would all would all be comparing themselves to each other?
3: I mean, there's always been metrics or stats. It's like your ticket sales or your album sales or your merch sales or right. your followers on right. MyS1. But those I aren't really, private. Those I don't, aren't private did, companies. How did, indie, how I don't did indie think musicians those... make a, more money before than they than they are now? I, I guess I don't know what. What's been lost, exactly.
0: Maybe, Dan. The, the, the difference is that everyone is brought into the system that before was really just chart pop, Motown, etc., billboard metrics, etc., etc. I think the difference is now is that everyone under the Spotify umbrella kind of feels... Obligated and pulled in yeah, to a it. system that before was sort of restricted to the sort of historical references you're you're talking about. Of course, it is the all artist's ultimate choice to just like not be on Spotify. But at the same time, it's They're like when, when music's already so devalued. Yeah, I think I feel like the difference is now everyone feels under that umbrella. I'm
1: imagining Nirvana yeah, and Sub Pop being like, well, sorry, you know, you're just not going to be a hit band. Like, you know, before they had had a chance to actually like gestate within like the cultural Well, I mean, that's the other
0: thing that's a really interesting thing and a big difference is that, you know, back in the day, labels made enough off of like these big artists to put out Velvet Underground right, or take yeah. a risk on Nirvana or something, right? And it's like, there's this, I forget who said it with this famous line that's like, oh, like Velvet Underground, they, you know, it only sold 30,000 copies, which is like bad back then. It's like, sounds hilarious. Yeah. Now <laughs> They're like, oh, it only sold like 30,000 copies, but all 30,000 people who bought it went and started a band.
1: Oh, right. And it's like, right, you know, right.
0: back in, you know, the labels could take the risk to put out music they thought was important and distribute it, right? Yeah. And it's like, now I guess everything's distributed, but of course there's so much more noise. It's like even harder to find. The playlists become even more important to cut through the noise. It's like, or you have to cater to some other big stack platforms to even get seen. I mean, you know, which is why I, I do think, again, which is... Obviously, like the huge theme everyone's talking about right now is just like building up local communities. Yeah,
1: decentralization in a
0: way. And re centralize. No, well, well,
1: it's it's decentralization. Re centralizing
0: locally. Locally, exactly. Decentralizing globally. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's the only way anything interesting is going to happen again. Because I do think we're in this awkward transitional period right now. Then again, maybe it's just lazy. Like maybe we all should spend more time actually digging on Bandcamp and digging on soundcloud even to find something it's like you know That's true like i still like i look at things i listen to like the most and it's like uh you know like anna capri's two eps which like lo- sampled like dido and like wild stuff like so it couldn't be on spotify yeah but those two eps are like probably like most listened to music of of like anything i listened to and i think again like another thing i've listened to probably more than anything else is like Sade chopped and screwed, oh, right. and it's like that can't be on Spotify, right? Because it's like sampled right. and and things. And that's the other thing, of course. Just because sampling is expensive and labels don't have money, we've moved away from sampling. And right. maybe in a larger reaction to platforms and sort of Spotify, maybe we get back really into a heavy sample culture again. Yeah, that'd be great and really uh, and
1: local because I mean, like right. sample culture.
3: what about uh, isn't is what about this EU law? Is that actually getting passed or not? The like the that meme law? Won't yeah, that make samples even more illegal? It, like, yeah, because like you'll well even, do, even right? like visu- it'll be like visual sampling as a
1: like, Right. Oh. I mean, <laughs> goodbye, new models. No, <laughs> no. Well, I'm Well, gay, first, but...
0: we su- first we sue, first we Virgil. Yeah. Then judge <laughs> sues us. So we'll yeah, see.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. All these platforms have made people really lazy, and I kind of feel like this gets into like some idealistic, like optimistic shit. But like, as music fans, I think it's on us also to kind of like think about like what type of music fans we want to be, and like what we want our relationship right. with music to be like, and like how much our own money do we want to spend on music and like how much time do we want to spend searching for music how often do we want to go to shows and like not just like rely on like facebook to show you facebook events and to actually like check in on like artists that you like and labels that you like and see what they're putting out and like what bands are coming to town and like go to the shows that you want to go to instead of like flaking last minute and like actually listening to new stuff when it comes out instead of just like assuming you'll get to it eventually just like being an active music fan instead of a passive music fan,
1: what, it sounds like to me, though, is that the communities will form where they want to form
2: strong, independent music communities like do exist. and like there are spaces they're like fewer and far between. Like there are like independent record labels and like people who are doing in- interesting stuff. But like, as it like disappears, like it's important to kind of like grasp onto the stuff that, like still exists <laughs> and also to start new stuff.
0: I mean, good solutions are just to like not be lazy. Spend some time on Bandcamp. Check out what's going on there. Find other ways to discover music outside of Spotify, yeah. ultimately. It's kind of like and what I you want in the internet,
1: too. It's like there are other kinds of internets are forming, do exist. Right. Like, if you want them, seek them out. Like, Facebook's not where you're going to find that. Yeah, so, I think, same with
0: uh, music. Artists too, like make yeah. incredible sample-based music that you can't put on. Yeah, incentivized,
1: incentivized, throw <laughs> people you know? away. Exactly. I mean, that yeah. was part
0: of what made the golden era, the, the kind of blog era dance talking about too. It was, like so great, like true. Uh,
1: you can't, it can't be shared on normal. I mean, platforms. yeah,
0: Dan, Dan's own the uh, uh, September uh, Cry for Me, uh, Slow <laughs> Down was, like. <laughs> That's not on Spotify. That's
3: still one of most beautiful pieces of music. You, it's on YouTube, though, notably. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. one thing that we didn't touch upon, I mean, is also just like we need new people, we need new curators. We need, like, we do need Bloghouse to yes. come back. Um, I mean, I yeah. do think there would be demand for that. There's no, like, music blogs that people, re- I mean, people that I know anyway, really, really engage with. People who aren't exactly like music people still engage with. I, I could see that coming back. I don't know. That seems like an, also a hopeful possibility
0: i mean i was thinking about that the aggregator cottage industry kind of thing or potential that that could emerge but then i I think there there probably are like superstar spotify indie spotify playlist makers right yeah
2: yeah well actually it reminds me of something that you were talking about earlier when you were talking about like the commercial that your friend's song was in and that like seeded it it was like some influencer or something and i feel like the people who are like influential on Spotify or more like there's like this weird crossover with like YouTube and like Instagram celebrities that have like popular Spotify playlists. Okay
3: that's dark actually. Yeah
2: Yeah. (laughs) I mean there you know there's other stuff too. There's a lot of pop artists have playlists that's like a thing I don't know. I don't even want to like I'm just like I don't want to give free press to like the popular Spotify
1: <laughs> right? But it's like a matrix of hosts across yes. and, across the different platforms who are yeah. all reinforcing each other's visibility.
0: Yeah. I'm going to make a Spotify album that's just like all songs that says like, please make sure to look at my website. I have albums on Bandcamp. You should check out things off of Spotify. Yeah. I have a cool mixtape on SoundCloud. <laughs> messages. Yeah, like, that totally. Songs that artists can put on their that's playlist. so good. That's it for the 11th episode of the New Models podcast. Many thanks to Liz Pelly for making the time to speak to us. And many thanks to you all for listening. Again, for more from New Models, including links to the articles, people, and outlets that inform our world, check out newmodels.io. You can also sign up to be a New Models member at patreon.com newmodels. We want to thank everyone who's contributed key info or inspiration since our last podcast. Stephanie Wakefield, Jack Tarpey, Anonymous, Matt Dryhurst, Parm van den Dorpel, Eric Lawler, Jean Luc Villa, Brad Winter, Anonymous, at Spring Break 1944, Tobias Spiktig, Teresa Pachka, Novembra Magazine, Jean Salome Rochat, at Helveticaid, Stephen Warwick, Christine LaRiviere, DeForest Brown, Viviana Lira, Yuri Patterson, Library Stack, Mike Peppy. Josh Hall, Andy Hutton, Nick Copenhagen, at Pierrot, R.D. Veerkant, Andrew Russith, David Rudnick, Anonymous, Riley Gold, Daniel Merriweather, Michelle Luke, Zero Cool, Anonymous, Maxim at Round, at Red Hood, and at Inhabit Global. Thanks for listening. We're leaving you now with more Dirth Joy. This one's called. Feel my pain.